Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. I'm thrilled to have Jeff back here with me. It's Jeff. Just, I'm back in the country. You're back. I'm back in Philadelphia. How are you doing? Are you awake on us? I'm a little tired, but I'll be okay. You're running on adrenaline. I know. You're just so excited to be talking to me and to the listeners in the Delaware Valley today. I think I've been in the state for like four days in the last 25 or whatever. Well, we, we've done our best to hold down the fort and make sure that everything worked out fine while you were away. Um, did you make it back in time or were you wherever to see the Sixers last Darn night? straight. I got to watch the Sixers. And it, it was it was it reminded me of the nineteen eighties like Heat Bull series. It was big boy it, basketball. It, yeah, exactly. So we actually are joined. We'll start off the show with uh Keith Pompey, the Philadelphia Inquirer. Keith, are you down there on the beach right now in Miami? Nah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to stay away from the beach this trip. <laughs> this, is, this is a smart move right there. I was, we, Jeff and I were just saying, we saw some big boy basketball last night being played in Miami. That's what they call grown man's league. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was big boys basketball. That was a physical game. Why don't you start by telling us what the atmosphere was like in that arena? It seemed like a little bit of a late arriving crowd, early leaving it's crowd. Miami. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm not going that. I mean, it's it's weird, though. Like, you know, whenever you come here, it's, it is a late arriving crowd. But I will say, like, you know, by the... Oh, we lost you for a sec, Keith. I think he you must here? be on the beach. There we go. I think you are okay, on the beach, okay. aren't you? <laughs> nah, I wouldn't. Nah, nah. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually sitting in my hotel lobby. But um, the thing about it is, you know, it, 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 it's a late-arriving crowd, but it always has been. But once the game starts, it's like it just seems like, you know, they really get into it. And um, it was, you know, it was nice. I mean, you know, some people did head for the, towards the exits. Like, you know, it's been like maybe two minutes left trying to hurry up and uh, get out there before, you know, the parking lot gets, gets packed. But, you know, it, it, it was an exciting game. It was a, a good win for the Sixers to be able to, go into a quote-unquote hostile environment and, and pull out a win the way they did. Well, I was following you on Twitter all day yesterday. When I woke up in the morning, Joel Embiid was doubtful. Before I went mm -hmm. into a dinner meeting, you said he was probable. And when I came out, he was on the court dominating. What happened? Let's talk a little bit about his recovery and what you saw from him last night coming back after a couple weeks off. You know, it's fine. I, I think, uh, you know, when you think, think about it, I, I think, like, the, the goal, like, before the start of the game, you know, you talk to a couple of people and they're like, yeah, he's playing. And the only thing the Sixers would say is, uh, well, barring a setback, he is going to play. You know what I mean? That's what they were saying. But it, it's kind of like I, I get the impression that, you know, after Embiid on Monday night, he had like a little social media tirade saying, like, you know, these guys are, you know, freaking babying me, I'm tired of it, you know, that he had to sit down with the with the organization, and he got his way. But it was one of those things where he had to pass a lot of, you know, tests, and he has, and or he had. And, and then it got to a point where, you know, they just didn't want to come out and say he wasn't playing just because by doing so they felt like, they were allowing the Miami Heat to prepare. But here's the one thing that everyone knows. Whenever you face the 76ers, you always prepare for facing Joel Embiid. 
And then when you find out Joel Embiid isn't playing, that's when you do your cartwheels and all that other <laughs> stuff and start celebrating because then you're saying, okay, the night just got a whole lot easier. But you always prepare as if Joel Embiid is going to play. One of the stats you had in your article today was uh, that the Heat shot 54% when he was off the court and 40% when he was on the court. What do you think of his defensive <laughs> prowess? Oh, man, it's crazy. See, and here's the thing, like, you know, I, I like I voted for him, and, and I kind of felt bad about it, but, but it's those type of statistics. But I voted for him for NBA Defensive Player of the Year because of that. I mean, like, when he's on the floor, that defense is just so much better. Not only it's kind of like, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, when he's on the floor, opposing teams attempt more outside jumpers. They don't come in the lane. I don't you blame know, but him. then when he's yeah, you don't blame him. But then it it, it can turn out to be like a layup line when he's not in there. In there. So it, it's kind of like so he you know he he's he's ranked he was ranked fourth in the league in block shots, but he wasn't the top guy. Like Anthony Davis was averaging, I believe, like two two plus a game. So when you see that, you're saying this guy has to be the defensive player of the year. You think of Rudy Gobert. But then you just think of MB's presence and you think of how he makes the Sixers such a quality defense. You have to give it to him. You know, you just do. It, remi- it reminds me of when you have a defensive back that, like, they always say, well, he doesn't have a lot of interceptions, but they never throw to his side. And that's, I think, exactly. that's, a, I think that's the same thing with Embiid. People just don't go yeah, in right. the middle. He's, he's seven foot two and solid muscle. <laughs> I mean, why in the world would you want to go in the middle when he's there? You're exactly right, and that's what it is. He's like a lockdown guy, you know, like a lockdown corner standing on the side. No one's going over there. But, yeah, you're exactly right, and you don't want to do it. And it's funny because, you know, because it's not about him scoring a lot of points or, you know, a lot of the things go unnoticed, we don't think about it. But you can argue that his defensive presence might be the best thing that he can do. And and, and, and then when you say it, it sounds crazy because we're saying – Seven two two eighty, shooting three pointers, taking guys off the dribble, you know stuff like that. But it's on a defensive end where the seventy sixers are like the most successful. Well, and, and they are their most successful when they lock it down and give themselves spacing. What did you think of the way Brett Brown handled getting him back into the game uh, and the flow? Some people were concerned about how they had played more of an up tempo pace while he was out. Didn't seem to bother anybody last night. He put up 23 points and got his while they still hit 18 three-pointers. So it seemed like everybody was you know able what? to do fine. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, think about it. I mean, you know, you guys, you know, know sports and, and, and you guys, you know, been to the games and stuff like that. So when when I look at it and they say, oh, we're, we're doing stuff, we're like we're shooting more threes, we're getting up and down and running, and I'm thinking, like, well, maybe you're doing it for a more sustained time, but it's no different than you did before. Maybe you're doing it for a little bit of longer stretches because you don't have someone in the post to feed the ball to. But think about it. It's been times when even, you know, they're running a fast break and he's the trail guy and they kick the ball back to him and he buries a three. So it's kind of like the same system. It's just I think people just – you know, people just, like, focused on it more, like it was different. But they were really, you know, they just tweaked it a little bit or they just didn't feed the post. 
you know, a couple times a game. I I also think that when Embiid is not in there, they expend a lot more energy. So in game one, when they're shooting over 60% from three-pointers, I don't think that's sustainable. And then you looked at, you know, I, w- I was at game two. Nothing went down and, that and, night. And, mm-hmm. and you could tell all their shots were short. And contested. And, and, and that's usually the sign of being tired. And, and if you, if you exactly. don't have him to dump the ball into, it just means you're all running around a lot more. Yeah, exactly right. Because to me, that was more like a a, 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 a jack-up-and-chuck contest. Like, guys were just getting to running 100 miles an hour and just trying to get up as many threes as they could. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think it was like Robert Covington was like two for eight. Uh, Marco Bellinelli was like two for eight. Um, J.J. Reddick, no, 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 Covington was one for nine. Reddick was one for seven. It was like, dang, dude, they just tr- jacking up threes, you know, and guys were passing up, uh, you know, layups, I mean, and kicking the ball back to somebody for a three when they weren't making them. It was like, you know, it was it was bad basketball. You know, it was like one of those things where, you know, if you think about it, let's just slow it down a little bit. Let's just do this and maybe we'll win. But they shot themselves out of the game. They also, like you said, they expended so much energy that it was no wonder that Dwayne Wade was able to get him on ISOs and just do whatever he wanted. You know, they were they were a tired team. And they're not without Embiid. You know, without Embiid, they're not really known as a defensive squad. Yes, you have Robert Covington. You know, Justin Anderson is a quality defender. He didn't play in the first two games. But it's just they don't have that presence, and they can't stop ball a lot of times. And that's the reason why Embiid is such a great defender. But it just seems like you said, they're running up and down and, and jacking and chucking threes, and they just got tired. You, you mentioned Justin Anderson in uh, games one and two. Game three, he seemed to get under everybody's skin. Dwayne Wade uh, was definitely out of character. Uh, Justice Winslow stepping on Embiid's mask. So between Embiid physical playback and Justin Anderson's physical playback, what were your thoughts on the impact that he had on the game? And I still don't understand if you can explain to me, how did they get a double technical foul on the Wade and and Anderson little tie-up where Wade decided to grab his arm and throw him out of bounds? Ooh, can I answer first? Dwayne Wade's a Hall yeah, of Famer. <laughs> Dwayne yep. Wade's a, a future Hall of Famer. And Justin got Anderson the benefit is of not. The doubt. Yeah. Gad, Keith. Now you and can, can I add to that? A, a future Hall of Famer playing at home. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You didn't, want, you didn't want the home crowd, like, you know, throwing stuff at the refs, right? You know what I mean? We were writing about that. Yeah. Oh, that that would have been only, great. That, that's only a story if it happens in Philadelphia, Keith. You know that. So... Uh, yeah, but, exactly. But, but the, impact exactly. Of, the impact of Justin Anderson and Embiid's physical presence on the game, we talked when you first came on about that was a man's game last night. It was very physical. Mm-hmm. It seemed like those two were the drivers, and not just for the physical play, but they really seemed to get under the skin of some of the Heat's players last night. I agree. And, and see, here's the thing. Like, Justin Anderson, I became a believer in him last year. Um, of course, Embiid, I, we all know about him. But Justin Anderson... I remember they were playing the New York Knicks, and this guy just, like, got in Carmelo Anthony's head. You know, Anthony wanted to fight him, but he really didn't. You know, it was like one of those. And then you go into the locker room, and Justin Anderson's like, oh, I don't remember anything. I got, I got, I have a lot of respect for Carmelo. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay, this guy's nasty. So then, you know, 
then you think back. I don't know if you guys remember a couple years ago when the Dallas Mavericks were, were, were playing the Oklahoma City Thunder in the playoff series, and Westbrook and another one of his teammates had a pregame routine where they would dance at the scores table. And then there were three Dallas Mavericks that came in and disrupted it. Justin Anderson was one of them, and he was a rookie. And, you know, they they got into like a kind of like a shoving match, so to speak, before the game. So Justin Anderson has a nasty mentality on the court. He goes after people. Now, I'm not saying he's a hack or anything like that, but he's not fearful. He'll do whatever, right? And to me, I, I never understood why he didn't get more minutes when there's a team like the Sixers that don't have a lot of guys like that on the team. I always, it always wondered. I mean, I just questioned. And then, you know, but now it's like after the Sixers were basically manhandled in game two, Brett Brown was like, hey, I got to play him. I have to play him. And it worked and, for him. And look at the results. And it worked. Exactly. Like, you know, the, the, the thing about the NBA, I, I'm just, I remember Reggie Evans, right? Reggie Evans, so I'm covering Temple and I'm covering high schools. I'm seeing Reggie Evans, you know, on these NBA teams. And I'm saying to people, like, man, that guy is stealing money. Like, he's sorry. Like, you know, what can he do? He's just stealing money. So I remember the first time, it was a preseason game, the Sixers played the Nets. And Michael Carter-Williams was like, had a couple, like, open layups. And then they put Reggie Evans in. Carter-Williams goes up, boom, he knocks him to the, to the floor and walks away. And then next thing you know, Carter Williams tries to do it again. Bloom! Knocks him to the floor and walks away. I was like, I'm a huge Reggie Evans fan because I, because then I realized why he stayed in the league for a long time. And that could be a role for Justin Anderson. You know what I mean? He's like could be an enforcer type for the 76ers. And I think you need that. I mean, of course, you need Joel Embiid to go far in the playoffs. But it, he can't be the only guy, you know what I mean, who can do things like that. And plus, he's the superstar. You don't expect him to, to do things like that because you don't want him to get tossed or anything like that. But I honestly think that when Justin Anderson is in the game and he is being like an enforcer of physical presence, that only helps the 76ers. Brett Brown tends to – go with the hot hand once he puts somebody in the game and he seems to change his rotation at least on the second string a lot and the person that we see affected by that in the playoffs most probably is Markel Fultz so yesterday he played a a whopping four minutes what's happened to Markel you know what I think it's just I don't think it's, it's a matter of anything really happened to him I think what it is is it's a guy who missed 68 games and then he played 10 games late in the season. And now this is like playoff basketball. So it's kind of hard to, you know, and we can let, let's be real. Like the teams that they were playing those last 10 games weren't exactly, you know, the conference, the, the conference leaders or the elite teams in the NBA, they were struggling teams. So now you want to put a guy in against, a Miami Heat team, and you add, and you're asking him to learn on the fly, and and in the playoffs, you know mistakes are magnified. So it's kind of like one of those things where you know you love him, and 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 you and, and you believe that he has a great future, 
But at the same time, this might not be the time to to learn on the fly. It just seemed like the atmosphere was a little bit big for him last night with with how physical well, the game it, was. Yeah, you know what? I, you know, I, I think if the atmosphere will be big for anybody who who played in ten games. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you know the, the swarming. The you know every play, no one's taking stuff off. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Like you know, in in a perfect world, it's you know it's one of those things where you say, all right, he messed up a couple possessions, or he he was you know it looked a little big for him. Let me let him get in this flow of the game. But right now, these games are so close and so competitive that whereas, I guess Brett Brown is thinking, if I let him get in the flow of the game, that could kill me when I have a guy like T.J. McConnell who's who's, who's used to it right about now. So, so I have to go with it. Here's my problem, though, is even though Markell's getting less time, my worry is about Ben Simmons because even though he's playing amazing and you had some great stats about – what he's doing in these in these postseason games, he's playing forty minutes while most of his teammates are only playing thirty. And this is a guy that people should not forget has never played a full season before. Certainly not an eighty-two game schedule and then playoffs. Is 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 Ben going to be affected going forward by playing this many minutes, or is he just an athletic freak at this point? I mean, he's an athletic freak. But the funny thing is about the Sixers. In the past, they used to, they used to, you know, they used to have like Ben playing. All right, I'm gonna have him. I'm gonna have him. Uh, I'm gonna have him. Uh, like, you know, play up until like three minutes left in the first quarter, and then I'm gonna bring him back at like the eight minute mark in the second quarter. And if you notice, a lot of times when he was off the floor, it's when they lost these huge leads. Yeah. And then he would have to try to bring them back. And then next thing you know, they take them out again. And then next thing you know, the lead, like they they blew another lead. So, you know what I mean? I, I think it's a matter of as good as Joel Embiid is and he is the leader of the team, you know, when they, it just seems like whenever Ben Simmons and Dario are out of the game, it's when they struggle. Like they have a hard time. And I think that, you know, TJ, you can say TJ McConnell can play more minutes, but I think that the fact that Ben is so big and so athletic and can see over people and has, some people say he has like five different, you know, passing lanes, I think that the Sixers are like banking like we're not practicing hard now like cause their practices are basically shoot-arounds and they're telling Ben when you're not playing, we need you to rest up because right now we're going to ride you. And the hope is that hopefully the Sixers are saying, or hopefully we can win this thing in five games and it will enable you to get some rest into the next series. Because I hate to say it, when Ben Simmons is off the floor, they typically lose leads. Well, and and so you mentioned game five. What do you think we're going to see game four? Sixers going to put themselves in position to come back home and win this in five? Or what do you, what do you, what's your feel for the series after what we saw last night, you know what I think. I think the the way the game starts is going to be key because you, you look at Hassan Whiteside, and you know he's basically saying, "Hey, man, my coach quit on me. Um, they don't want to play me." And I feel like if the Sixers, I feel like the Miami Heat are going to try to be aggressive. They're going to take it up a notch. They're going to you know try to bait some people and and some things like that. 
But I honestly believe that the Sixers could weather the storm or if the Sixers could, like, punch them in the mouth instead of getting punched. I think that we'll start seeing a couple people on Miami quit. And I think Hassan Whiteside will be one of them, you know, because he's already saying, why am I only playing 13 minutes? How come the, How come all they want me to do is set picks? You know, to him, he should be in there going head-to-head against Joel Embiid, not setting picks for Dwayne Wade and these other people. So I think that if the Sixers can get out and punch him in the mouth early, I think that the series is going to be over. So, Keith, thank you so much for coming on and joining us from Miami. Uh, I want you to just do us a favor while you're down there. And we're about to have, okay. we're about to have on Leroy Horde, who who's, has a radio show down in Miami. And we're going to ask him the same question. But have you been able to find Hassan Whiteside's heart while you're down there? Oh, God. <laughs> and, and, Leroy, and Leroy's on hold waiting yeah, that's right. to, Leroy's waiting to on hear hold. that. So he'll have something to say when he comes on. But in serious, I think he had he's had 11 points in the series uh, so far. Uh, a lot of foul trouble. Any any th- thoughts on that? Well, don't worry. We'll make sure we get Leroy's uh, comments on, on Whiteside for you. Yeah, that's kind of tough. But honestly, I do think that the small lineup was killing him early on. And I, and I do think that he got into some foul trouble against Embiid. And I think when you start pouting and stuff like that and the coach is looking at you like you're crazy, you know, you're not going to play. <laughs> uh, we hear you. Well, look, we, we hope you have fun down there in Miami. Enjoy the weather and uh, come back with another win so that we can try and close this out at home, okay? All right, fellas. All Th- right. Thanks as always for coming on. We'll talk to you again soon, Keith. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All right, so that's Keith from Miami. Yeah. And now we're going to bring Leroy on. We'll we'll skip. We'll go to break after we talk to Leroy. So, uh Brett back there on the other side. We'll go to break when we finish this one. Leroy, did you hear Jeff uh take a shot there uh on Mr. Whiteside? Of course I did. Of course I did. <laughs> well, have have you found his heart? <laughs> well, here's part here's part of the problem. Ever, ever since they signed Whiteside and the way I saw what Golden State did when they won their first championship by taking the big out of the game and the way the league is going, I always ask the question, is it possible that if another team has the players that they could just play small and take Whiteside out of the game? And everybody said, no, no, no. He's very athletic. He can go out there and and do a bunch of different things. And it just really hasn't happened. Um, what, you know, Philly has done is basically go small. And if Hassan's going to play, they're going to have him on out on the three-point line. And then they're going to let Ben Simmons do what he has to do. And that takes Hassan away from one of his strengths, which is defending the rim. So Now, you- Hassan hasn't played well. And so from that standpoint, when he has been under the rim, he hasn't protected it. He hasn't gotten the rebounds. He hasn't finished at the rim. And and I can't answer that, but, but I can tell you this. As long as I've been around sports, every coach's job is to win games, no matter what sport. And they're going to do whatever they can to win whatever game you're in. And the one way I can almost guarantee you're not going to get on the floor 
is if you complain about what that coach is doing. Yeah, that didn't seem to go over very well at all. And, it, you know, I'm wondering, what's the feel in Miami today? It, it seemed like, you know, Dwayne Wade uh, got a little frustrated last night with Justin Anderson still talking about what he thought was the physical play of the Sixers, uh, which Philly fans uh, will find interesting. Uh, yeah, and for, and for those that, that in Philadelphia who don't know Leroy, Leroy is on a show in Philadelphia, I mean in Miami on 790 The Ticket. So uh, he's he's our resident expert so, on Miami sports. So what are you hearing today from the Miami fan base and the Miami team? Well, a lot of them are done with white side. Like, we've been playing this game with him for a couple of years now. Um, when When the series started, he got in a lot of foul trouble. They went small, so Spo kind of, uh, Coach Spolster kind of went with, you know, smaller lineup. Um, keep in mind that uh, Olenek had a good game the first game uh, and then came back and they all shot the three well. So, you know, circumstances kind of kind of took Whiteside out of the game. Now, there's a couple of things that you can do as a big if they go small. One is you can dominate inside. That is, you have enough offensive game to dominate inside, in which case the other team is forced to go big or they can double you. If they double you and try to get the ball out of your hands, you have to have the capabilities of throw, passing it to the big, the proper guy. Dwight Howard did that when he got, um, if you remember, he got a bunch of shooters to the finals, and Shaq was great at that. There's a couple of big men that are good at getting the ball to the open guy. Then you can play from inside out. That just doesn't if seem you don't, like Whiteside's game. Exactly. That's my point. So you know what it's going to take to get them out of going small. But if you don't have a big man to do it, then you kind of have to go with what you think will be what they're doing. So there's a lot of situations that have taken Hassan out of the game. But for some reason, he's not chalking it up to his play or his inability to do certain things. Now, down here, everybody always said, you wait till Joel Embiid comes back. Whiteside plays well against him. That, well, my question that was, didn't happen is, last night. <laughs> well, and, and my question is this. If, if you have a guy that's been inconsistent for a lot of his career, uh, a short career, I might add, um, why do you just chalk it up to, oh, he'll do it then, or he'll do it then, or he'll do it then. You know, it, it, what does everybody tell you about the relationship you get in? Oh, I'll change her, or I'll change him. And then when it doesn't happen, you guys end up breaking up. Like, you knew what you were getting into. And so, so who gets the blame for this? Is that, I mean, Riley signed him to that huge $98 million contract. Well, yeah, you have to understand the times of what was going on. And there's two contracts. Now, I'm a Pat Riley fan, and I think it was a moment in time where he panicked, okay, because it was right after LeBron left. So right after LeBron left, boom, gave the contract to Chris, Chris Bosh. That was unfortunate. Um, then gave a contract to Tyler Johnson, gave a contract to Whiteside. Okay, because the guys who he wanted he couldn't get, and then let and then let Dwayne Wade go. Well, well, 
and and I understand that, like, even if Dwayne had continued to play the way he had been playing, okay, I could kind of understand where that was going, you know, because, you know, he was on a maintenance program. He was he was kind of on the back end of his career, and you 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 kind of were because you gave money to younger guys. You needed that money to fill, you know, try to get some veterans in here. At you couldn't be you if you were going to pay twenty million dollars or almost twenty million dollars to three guys, it couldn't be D Wade, Hassan, and Tyler Johnson. Okay, you, so, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so, but but, now, but, but now my you're, whole thing. But now you're stuck. Huh? Now you're stuck with him at least in this series and, and a couple but more. That 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 was my point. Is that wait a minute? Hassan's 27 years old at the time. You still have moments where you question: Is he going to be a professional? And you go and give him a max contract and take away all the motivation. Seems like you guys are still asking no, that not, question. Huh? It seems right. like you guys are still asking that question. He just doesn't have, I mean, he silly fouls, takes himself out of the game, even when he's right. in the game. It's just, right. you know, as somebody who's not necessarily a Heat fan, to watch it, I, I guess I'd know the name more and thought that there would be more, and there right. just hasn't now, been. I will say this. He didn't miss a lot of games this year, okay? And, and the Heat are one of those franchises where, look, they don't throw the players under the bus. No, okay. we do that. Don't worry. No, no, no teammate, no, no teammate is going to throw his players under the bus. But at the same time, if you're a son, you can't then attack the organization or the coaching staff or another player. So now, so and so if, what's the answer? Huh? Now? So what's the answer now? Is is the is the answer? Is is this right? What I'm trying to figure out is that they seem to start to kick the Sixers in the teeth in Game Two after they got pushed around in game one. And that reminded me a lot of the Riley Knicks and the Riley Heat and starting to put, just say, all right, let's just push them around. And that's the only way we're getting through this series. Well, what happened in game three was, is there was a lot of talking, (laughs) a lot of shoving, but not the same thing that was in game two. And thank goodness Kevin Hart wasn't on the sideline. (laughs) it, It was almost like, you're given the impression that you're playing tough, but you're not playing tough. Yeah, no, that's the that's what surprised is, me. It seemed like you know they were they were trying at home, but they they weren't playing as tough as they did in two. Once they, right. it's like you punch the bully in the mouth, and all of a sudden the bully doesn't know what to do. Like they they punched on in right. game two, Miami did, and the Sixers punched back in game three, and Miami just had no answer. Now I will say this: <laughs> one of the things going into the series that everybody talked about. It's like we got veterans, we got older guys who've been play had playoff experience. Uh these young guys never been in playoffs or whatever. And I have been amazed at the maturity and the poise of of, of both uh Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Yeah, that was Not his first play. playoff game last night. I mean right. you, you, as Not a as a pro yourself play. who's played that in that to come into that situation at that level with the experience that he has and do what he did last night was impressive to me. But it it, it was, but but more more importantly, you know, usually the young guys are trying to prove their worth. 
So when things get a little chippy, they're the ones that are barking back. They're the ones that are in your face. They're the ones that are, how dare you try me? And, you know, this guy's not even for lunch. In fact, Ben Simmons was going back and forth with Justice, and guess what? Nothing. Nothing. They got they got a, a double tech, but, but that's it. And, and so you got to give them a lot of credit for that, that, you know, maturity and poise, which is something I wish – you know, uh, Hassan would understand is that, look, man, regardless of what you think about the organization and what the coaches are doing with you and what you feel like you should be doing, because for some reason, Hassan thinks the offense should go through him. Doesn't look like that'll work out too well for you guys. That he actually made the comment at the press conference that Embiid is going to get his numbers because they run a lot of offense through him. They run a lot of post-ups and stuff like that. Here's the one thing that I'll say to Hassan. You can't run plays for a guy who doesn't pass the ball because that's part of the problem that they've had. Hey, he's had 50 assists all year. All year? Oh, yeah. Oh and last year, he, last year he had less than 10. How does that happen? <laughs> How because once the ball gets into him, it goes up. He cannot pass the ball, and he's either going to take a shot, and he's had success with, you know, he's gotten better offensively. But the way basketball works is you are not a threat until you can either score or pass it to the open guy, and that makes you even more open. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not and, here. And I'm not here. I'm not hearing a lot of uh, yeah. I'm not hearing any confidence here from you about the well, Heat being able to pull this out. They can beat Philly. Okay, so so do now, you, what's your prediction going forward? No, well, I, well, <laughs> I, I think, no, no, no. But, that was a great reaction right there. <laughs> no, because here's why it's tough. When we picked the series before it started, I picked Philly in six. Because even though I'm a Heat fan, I like being right. Is that still what you think? You think that Miami will, will get another win in the series and, and make it back home? Get another, I, think, I think they'll get another win. But, but at the same time, when I look at these two teams, here's what I look at. And you tell me, as long as you've been watching playoff basketball, what team do you go to? Hey, uh, Philly has two superstars, and the Heat have mostly role players. Who are you going to pick? And no, it's definitely not the ideal matchup for the Heat. Uh, it they, it but, seemed like but, the whole but, argument for the Heat was they have experience and the Sixers don't. It wasn't that they have talent and the Sixers don't. It was that they've right. been there before. Yeah, for for us, Leroy, it's more that we're just not used to winning. Yeah, you know, we got this whole Eagles thing now, but <laughs> yeah. but we're, we're not used to it. So so like when I reached out to you a couple weeks ago and said, "Hey, you want to place a bet on the on the uh, on the series?" and you said, "No way." It's been uh, We're half, a de- half a decade before anybody picked somebody other than the team Philly was playing. <laughs> right. Well, well uh, again, I mean. <laughs> Leroy wants to be you, right. You know, any other, yeah. you know any other 7-2 guys that shoot threes? Nope. No, it's, uh, okay. well, we, uh, we hope you keep enjoying the Sixer show down there and they uh, prove you right that they win the series. We always enjoy you coming on. Uh, hopefully you have Jeff on to, to give you a little counterpoint back down there one day. And yep. uh, Thanks so much for the time, Leroy. We Take always care, enjoy Leroy. it. No problem. Anytime, guys. Have a Bye. great one.
All right, Jeff, we'll uh, we'll go to break since we've been going for a little while. When we come back, we'll talk Phillies for a minute. And then uh, Aaron Beasley's working on getting here, but I think he's going to end up calling us. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit of Athletic Business Association when we come back. Stick with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Attention sports fans, the Heart of Sports is excited to be the media partner with the newly formed Athletic Business Alliance for their kickoff event being held on May 8th at Ron Jaworski's Ramblewood Country Club in Mount Laurel. Players from across all sports have been invited to connect with the Alliance's player-to-player network. If you'd like to get involved, sponsorship opportunities include program advertising and tickets. Visit abagamechangers.net or call 856-673-1911. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports, where Jeff is not paying attention and asking for donuts right now. Hope everybody's doing well and enjoyed a lot of Sixers heat talk there. Jeff, do you know what the good news was last night? Other than the Sixers winning. I have a feeling, but I'm not going to spoil the The Flyers did not lose last night, Jeff. They didn't play. They didn't. You mean they didn't give up half a dozen goals last night? Look, it's all about goaltending. It's, I mean... I'll no, just tell look, you, it's it's more. It is series, more than it that. It is more than that. It is more than that, and they haven't played with the intensity they've needed. It's funny. It's uh, I heard somebody say idea. earlier that the Sixers game last night was more physical than the Flyers series. It, has well, been. well, the Flyers practice was also more physical when Ratko Gudis decided to take, take out, out Couturier. It looks like Couturier will play tonight. Uh, Flyers playing they kept in, them away from Flyers Gudis. playing in game. He was doing some faceoffs today at practice yeah. and. Um, you know, out on the ice on his own. So we'll see whether it'll probably be a game time decision. Do you think the Flyers, who are now down three one after another ugly loss, they've given up six goals? Um, you don't think they they win tonight and come back? No. I, I mean, look, I I think they did better this year than I thought they were going to do, and I think that they have a bright future with young players. But they they are no match for the Penguins. It was it was not the draw that I wanted um, of all the teams that you want to play. The Penguins, who have that experience, and the back-and-forth passing that they have, it's just not good for our goal. Here's my hope that, that somehow next year one of these young goalies comes up and, and that they're able to compete because there would be nothing better in this season, this season to, but to fight that team. Look, it's, that, that is such a great potential rivalry, and I don't want to miss – the, the period of time, the window when we're facing it's Sydney Crosby. only a rivalry if you play and win, and they haven't right, done that, that lately. That's what I'm saying. And I, and They've I, been and dominated. I, and I don't want it to be after Sydney Crosby's out of his prime. Like, I want to beat him I think the prime. Flyers' goal lately has been to make sure that I had free time to watch the Phillies and Sixers. So they got it over early, gave up a bunch of goals. Um, I'm, know, I'm know trying what? not to like get down about it because I didn't— I know some people had higher expectations for this Flyers team— you really? know, you know my opi- well because people always have high expectations but, for the Flyers. But based on what? I mean, before the season when they signed Elliott, how many times did I go whoop de do? Well, I mean, and you—that's the thing. You and I have had the same conversation about the Flyers' goaltending and defense all season. We had it at the end of last season. 
So I feel like until that answer is found, we're just going to keep asking the you same questions. You know what's questions. baffling about it? Who's the general manager? It's Ron Hextel. Uh, the, probably the last to, great goalie we had. His argument would be he's being patient for what the young guys are in the system. It just doesn't seem like they're there yet. And you've got these other players that have come up now that are playing in the pros. You've got Nolan Patrick and Provorov and mm-hmm. Gossis Barron. Like, you've got your guys Patrick here. Patrick has really come on. He, he really he's is. Been a bright he's going to be special. He's been a bright spot in what otherwise has not been a fun series. Drew's really struggled yeah. in this series. And I don't know if Wayne Simmons is hurt or what. But he's not. He's had a bad season. Yeah, he's he's had a tough one. But you know what was great last night? Jake Arrieta. Well, yes, him. (laughs) Even better, those blue jerseys. Okay, those jerseys were awesome. I want to wear them all the time. I love the blue jerseys. Maybe I'm just a traditionalist. I love the the Eagles Kelly green. I love the powder blue. Uh, I, 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 just, I don't know what it is, but but those jerseys, just the whole uniform. And they had the matching helmets this year. Yeah. Because they, they went to the throwback powder blues a couple years ago or last year, and they had the regular Phillies red mm-hmm. that they use now, and it just looked really weird. Yeah. No, so, the, the, these were great, and Jake Arri- Arietta was Jake Arietta. Jake Arietta was dominant Ten last strikeouts, night. one hit. Did you see some innings. of the movement on his pitches? Yeah. I mean, he really... He, they have a chance to be very good. Look, so, only a couple games out of first place. I've now. missed asking you about the Phillies. You yeah. were traveling last week. We recorded earlier the week before, and so we didn't have as much Phillies talk. A lot has happened now. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on how you feel about this team? Better. Uh, I mean, I still think that they have to make sure that they can wrap up the bullpen into a good fo- – everybody has to have a role. I'm worried about how they're overusing Hobie Milner and putting him in for one batter at a time. I, I just think it's kind of ridiculous how they're using him. But you got Yaxel Rios, who nobody had ever heard of before, who has gotten off to a great start. You have other relievers that I think are – the traditional relievers like Naris are just not doing well. But I think the guys – Why like, is he still your closer? Because I don't think they have another alternative. I do. Velasquez you, you know has is. pitched better – now, I will ask you about that. Yeah. Are you encouraged? He's had fewer walks. Mm-hmm. He's gone deeper into games. Right. Are you encouraged? Am I encouraged? Yes. Do I think he long-term he's a starter? No. I've never be- – I've told you this. I Look, I want him to succeed, but I just don't see his – the way he pitches and the lack of having a really good repertoire of secondary pitches, I don't see him as a starter. You have to have three or four really good pitches, and he doesn't. He has two, and and he he would be dominant if he was in in the bullpen. Talk to me about Scott Kingery. I told you he was going to be special. I mean, this special playing well, like every position on the field well, special. That that I worry about. I, I, I heard an interview with him earlier today saying that he's actually getting more comfortable the more he plays them. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> more comfortable. Some of them he's never played before. I so, know. So it's a little hard to be less comfortable. He said he hasn't hit a grand slam since high school before he hit one the other <laughs> night. <laughs> That's amazing. He's going to be really good, but they have to find a spot for him. Everybody has to settle in. And I think what's going to end up happening is the Phillies are going to have to decide, is it going to be Caesar or is it going to be Kingery? I love Cesar Hernandez. He's played very well. He is an all-star second baseman, and and they literally have two potential all-stars at one position. And having Kingery just play every position that everybody else gets a night off of, it works for a while. But at some point, your offense starts getting affected 
by your defense. And, and, and when you feel comfortable in a position, it, it starts to filter over to every part of your game. And I think they just have to let him settle in somewhere. The only other rookie in the league that's driven in double-digit runs is Shohei Tani. Yeah. I, I mean, that's pretty good. I, I, I really didn't think Otani was going to be anything special. He's and, been. And, and he has done. He's, he's proved been everybody what wrong. He was advertised as both at the plate and on the mound. Yeah, and he was he was terrible in the preseason. He looked awful. Yeah. And then you hear about that partial tear or whatever mm-hmm. they were worried about. And just doesn't look like anything. Um, you know, my boy Reese Hoskins, uh, I haven't texted you when he's hit home runs. Yeah. Because you were traveling. But, uh, you know, still some strikeouts. But he's. Playing well. Your thoughts on Reese Hoskins? Reese Hoskins is Reese Hoskins. He's playing very well. That was well. profound. Yeah. I mean, you really did, gave a lot to the audience. Did, did there. you? Did you? Not? I, I set you up your thoughts about Reese Hoskins and you gave me. I'm not. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to fawn over <laughs> him. He has three home runs. I mean, <laughs> he, he's batting over 300, which is what you'd expect. It. I mean, if he had 10 home runs in 35 RBIs now, I'd be fawning over him. This is exba- exactly what you expect of Reese Hoskins. And you're going to have a guy who's going to be here for hopefully 10 years, putting up 30 and 100. How, you, how, about, how about Aaron Nola? He's great. He's, he is a number one pitcher. And when he was drafted, I didn't see that at all. I didn't see the bulldog in him. Uh, he has turned into Cole Hamels of this generation. Right-handed hitters are four for 32 this season, batting just 125 with a walk and 10 mm-hmm. strikeouts against him. If you go back, I saw a stat over his last 22 starts going back to last season. He's got a 2.87 ERA with 152 strikeouts and 141 innings. See, to me, it's, to me, Nola's doing what's expected. Arietta's doing what's expected. Velasquez is uh, doing better than I thought he would. To me, the big surprise is Pavetta. Because Pavetta was not a guy that I expected to have enough different kind of pitches to do well and he has developed a third pitch and he is doing very well and and that is what I'm really pleased at and you know you've seen some of the things I think that I've that I've tweeted about the trades people now need to look I gave you a shout out last week about your Ruben Amaro credit now you go through that because you tweeted that that Mm -hmm. that people need to relook at some of the deals that Ruben Amaro made yep at the time and where those players are now on this team. I gave you a shout-out last week when you weren't here. Go ahead. You uh, take look, your turn. Look, I'm, I'm not Ruben's biggest fan, but, you know, people gave him a hard time. He did. He waited too long to make the trades. But when everybody said he was going to get nothing because he waited too long, they were severely mistaken. Because if you look at the guys on this team and the number of starters that are on this team – how many came from the Cole Hamels trade? Your starting catcher is now from the Cole Hamels trade. You have Jake Thompson, who is in AAA right now, but I think he's going to be up here again shortly. Do you think they're you, still looking at a bullpen role for him, or like a longer reliever? I think so. Um, and then you have Eichoff when he comes back, right? And then you have Velasquez, who came from, from an Astros trade. And you have Pavetta, who came from the trade to the Nationals for, for Jonathan Papelbon. The fact that you could get anything. I for was Jonathan amazed they Pavelbon. got anything for Pavelbon at that point. You have Eflin, who's doing, who started the season well at at AAA, and I think he's probably going to take Lively's place. I think soon, and he came from the Jimmy Rollins trade, and then you have Lively, who came from Marlon Bird trade. I mean, 
These were all lower-level guys. You have to have an amazing scouting staff to be able to find that kind of talent at the lower levels, and they, they did a really good job with that. So with all the analytics, the fact is you still need to have scouts on the ground looking at players and seeing what they can do and what their potential is. Well, and we're going to play the role of scout. We're going to do a little road tour and uh, travel around to some of the minor league uh so, so that's your little, that's your little tease, right? That, that the, is the, my the, tease. That that in, in what two weeks now we're gonna have, we're gonna be doing a minor league report, and we're gonna travel around to all the Phillies minor league stadiums. We're gonna interview the future prospects on the team. We're gonna talk to the Dominican club to talk to what it's like down there. We're, we're gonna cover the Philly system from AAA all the way down, and it and it's it'll gonna- be fun. And, and the thing that I like is, you know, we talk about, like, these are the players that are they're really hustling to get there. Mm-hmm. They're chasing their dream. And so we're going to get to see some of that. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting a little expertise from you and your son uh, about who I should be watching out for. Mm-hmm. I figure I'll learn a little bit. But no, we, our thought is we're going to bring it back to the listeners and, and give you a feel for what's coming. Who's, who's coming up in the system? What's next? And, and, for, and for those that say, okay, well, look, look what we got at the majors. We saw almost every, I mean, at least me, I've seen almost every one of those guys from single A all the way up. And you become more invested in, in the team. Even I mean, it's not much harder to become invested in the team if you're a Phillies fan. But it, it really is fun to watch the guys progress. Now, you also see a lot of guys who just flame out. And, and that's the, but see, that's the other appreciation to me for baseball is because I remember taking a bunch of kids when they were eight years old to a minor league game, and it was a team that I was coaching. It was for my son's birthday. And one of the kids went, went uh, Coach, these guys stink. And, and I reminded every one of, the, the, one of those kids, as I said, by the way, every guy out on this field was the superstar that in your town. Every single one of them. And it's so hard to get from one level to the next that you really start to appreciate how special it is that they can actually make it to the majors. We will uh, figure out where Aaron is a little bit to, to talk Athletic Business Alliance in the future. Jeff, while we have a little time left, I'm going to go to something that, that we didn't plan, but I was asking you about before the show. Yeah. So the Eagles' schedule was released, was released yesterday. The NFL draft is next week. Crickets. Nobody's talking <laughs> about it. Because people are still on a high. I mean, in the past, it was the season's over in December and January. We're looking ahead to the draft, and then... It's the schedule release. Because that's and, all, that's all and you could do. The Sixers weren't playing well, and the Flyers were being the Flyers, and the Phillies were waiting for young players to come up. And, and now it's there's just nonstop wall-to-wall everything. Yeah. Uh, Every, everybody is it's, – it's like after you have a big, satisfying meal, you don't need dessert anymore, right? I guess. I, I don't know. And by the way, I think part of it is the draft is in Dallas. So nobody even wants to acknowledge that it's happening because it's in Dallas. And the Eagles don't have a top pick because they won the Super Bowl. Well, they have 32. I think it's going to be a valuable pick, by the way, because the way they do the draft now, you're the last pick on day one for anybody who wants to grab a player before day two starts. Right. So I actually think that there's some value in that pick. There's value in all the picks. That Uh, they can. But but it's right now it's, you know, we're used to having a top 10 pick. Now, now you got a number thirty-two pick, so you you got to wait till the end of the day too. So it may be exciting for us, but for a lot of people, don't want to sit around till the thirty-second pick. They're going to uh, start the season on a Thursday night playing the Falcons. Yeah, 
Um, not Minnesota. Looks like the NFL wanted Minnesota for the Sunday night game. Mm-hmm. Throw Kirk Cousins out there. Uh, let let him get his good start. Um, but actually, let's go back. We have a couple minutes before the end of the show. Aaron Beasley's on the line, former NFL player. I know you were trying to join us here in studio. It sounds like traffic didn't cooperate with you today. Man, uh, this Philly traffic. <laughs> what are they going to get? When are they going to fix this stuff? Never. I've been living here. You, I'm from this area, and it's been like this since the 70s. It's never <laughs> going to get better. It's the Schuylkill. What do you expect? Oh, my goodness. Why do you think we drive out here early for the show? Well, since since, <laughs> oh, uh, since we don't want to keep you too long because we want to make sure we get stuff in before the end of the show, but we did want to um, bring you on and talk. We're, we're really proud to be supporting a new initiative that you've got going on called the Athletic Business Alliance that sort of, you know, you can tell us about it, but going to work on helping tra- players transition after they're done playing. We wanted to see if you could tell us a little about the organization and then ask you a little bit about some of the stuff you're doing. Okay, so, you know, the idea came to me, um, I mean, like I've been doing this for a while, you know, just kind of connecting players to, you know, tickets to events, and I got some friends that work at casinos and kind of helping them out, getting the rooms, and, you know, it it, kind of came to me when I was sitting back thinking at my house, like, who's really helping, like, former players with the transition besides, you know, some of the uh, sports organizations. Um, because sometimes, you know, get lost in the crowd with, with those organizations. So we want it to be more personal, where it's more like a local touch. So, you know, we, we want to really cater to the South Jersey, Philadelphia area and former athletes from this area just to get started and hopefully spread our wings from there. And there are plenty of athletes that stay in the area. You talk a little bit about the transition. What was it like for you as a player when, when your career ended? You, you said that you've talked to people and had the opportunity to talk to them. Is, is it what you expected moving to a professional career? And, and is that what's kind of motivated you to try and make sure other people have these opportunities? Well, I'm, I wish I had this program. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Uh, I think I'm actually one of the examples of, you know, like I I invested in some things late in my career and it didn't work out. Um, I went back and I finished my degree. So it was like, I didn't plan ahead enough. And, you know, that's the one thing I want players to realize is, you know, the the average career used to be uh, 3.2 years. I think it's, below the three-year threshold for the first time. And, you know, these players got to realize, you know, it, it goes quick. I, I, saw a stat, be, I saw a stat that, that you guys had about um, 80% of NFL players lose their wealth within the first three years of retirement. So, like, now the playing career is under three years, and then three years after, the proceeds from that career are gone. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, that was an eye-popping stat to me. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like, having, you know, the, the, the premonition of, you know, when my career is over, you want to step into something that's making money, you know, and and you don't want to have to start from zero. And a lot of guys have some great ideas, and, you know, they don't know the proper steps to put it to use and, and actually profit from it. So... You know, I made a lot of mistakes 
through through my my time and what I want to do is be able to help guys and lead guys in the right way and not make the same mistakes I made. I mean, I lost a lot of money by being risky and I mean when you when you're in that five year maybe like like we said, two year window, you want to get something going and, and be making money. You want to save all that money. Well, you and know, make money on the side and let the money just make itself. Well, you know, Aaron, uh, this is Jeff. Um, I'm an attorney in my day job, and, and I've represented a lot of athletes. And, and I, I see what you're talking about is, is for athletes, people don't realize their careers, when you call it a career, is so short compared to the career of anybody else. So how, how do you get a hold of athletes early on to convince them that, you know, this this kind of money isn't coming in forever and you have to plan for what you're going to do when you hit 30? Well, you know, that's the one thing I want to show them, good, good examples and the bad examples. And there's a lot of uh, former colleagues of mine who are doing some great things, and I I like to... And that's kind of what the connection with the Athletic Business Alliance is, connecting these athletes to a business network where, you know, being able to get a mentorship with someone who's uh, in a a well-rounded company. I mean, we don't realize how athletes and and in the business world, the the verbiage and and the words are so similar that, you know, we we already know the word. We already been on a team. We already know what it takes to, you know, have a a good positive outcome. So we got to be ready to take what we know on the football field into the business world. Hey, Aaron, I hate to cut you off, but my producer's going to yell at me if I go any further over. Um, we did want to tell people they can support your efforts. You have your first event on May eighth from five thirty to eight thirty. At Ramblewood yeah. Country Club, we will be there. We'll be proud to be supporting the heart of sports, and uh, we'll hopefully we get around the traffic, and we'll have you come back in one time and uh, talk a little more with us. Okay? Oh, I'm gonna leave at one o'clock. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> for a four o'clock show. Thanks so much, Aaron. We appreciate you calling in. All right, guys. Have a great one. Have a Take great care. one, Jeff. That's gonna have to be the last word because I let you talk too long. <laughs> and thank you everybody for joining us this week on the heart of sports join us next week on 610 espn when we help you go into the weekend in style everybody have a great one bye